0: Hello to all the Rugby League diehards and welcome to another episode of Six to Go. My name is Tom Canfell and it's great to have you company. As we head into today's episode, you know how it works. We'll cover six topics related to the game or even their own career. My guest this week is Jamie Soward former State of Origin player for the Panthers and Premiership winner with St. George Illawarra Aurora Dragons. Jamie's one of the most accomplished halves of the past 20 years. He's now transitioned into the coaching and media world and I was happy to have him on the show this week. Hope you enjoy our chat. Here's Jamie Sowood. I'm joined by Jamie Soward as the next guest of the 6 Go podcast. Hey Jamie, how are you, mate?
1: Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me.
0: No worries. It's a thrill to have you on, and I've got six topics to cover with you today, and I'll kick things off with the trials so far. Xavier Savage looked outstanding for the Raiders last week. What do the Raiders do with him and uh, Charles Neville-Clockster?
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, firstly, um, who the halves sort of want there in terms of um, the... You know, the cohesiveness that Charles Nicol Klukstar had with Jack White when they went to a grand final. How is Nickel Klukstar's uh, fitness coming back from that? Is he still able to play fullback? And you look at Savage uh, who's a, a young gun. Can he defensively um, be able to, to put up the numbers that Ricky Stewart needs to in terms of stopping tries and getting people in place? If you notice in that first trial, whilst he was on fire with the ball, he did let a, a try in as well. So um, I think Nickel uh will move to the centres and Savage will get the nod, but um, Ricky Stewart will be wanting his defence um, to be able to, to stand up a little bit more if he's going to be a regular first grader.
0: So you, you think they can fit both into the same team, Xavier and Chance?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the last couple of years, Jared Croker um, has had some injuries, so I think that that would definitely come into it. Um, and, and what they do the other side of the field is going to be interesting as well. I think the, the Raiders had to go through a transition uh, the last couple of years after that grand final. They probably missed the jump and they still had a and that quality side with their forward pack, but they probably missed an opportunity to get younger a little bit quicker. Uh, now they've got Jamal Fogarty there, so there's no real excuse they don't have a halfback. So um, they could bounce back in a big way.
0: The Dragons had a great comeback to beat the Eels. I know it's only a trial, but I really think the Dragons can make the eight this year or at least give it a good go. What are your expectations for them this year?
1: Yeah, it's a good answer to have um, when you ring me for an interview <laughs> um, to be able to push the Dragons' case. Okay, so I, th- I think, you yeah, know, looking at it two ways. Obviously, you know, with my ties with uh, working at the club, and working with the NRL squad, we've had a lot of depth to our team and uh, that experience in, in positions, you know, Moses Zimbai can play one to 17 uh, Aaron Woods can uh, give us some big minutes in the middle and uh, you throw in you know, George Burgess and also um, yeah, a couple of other guys there in Moses Sully, Chat Moga, Jaden Sewer. Last year, we didn't have that. So that depth and experience um, comes in. Now, if you take you know, Dragon's hat off and you're just looking at it purely from a football point of view, um, there's going to have to be some improvement from some of those young guys who got opportunities last year. They're going to have to really take a step up. I think that's what everyone's waiting on. You know, can those... Uh, the Sloanes and Ramses and Fee guys, Sullivan's and Moan, Can they take that next step into being a regular first grader? Because uh, when you're not expected to play first grade, life's probably at its best because uh, you go and play games and yeah, there's no real pressure on. When you're expected to be a first grader, that's what uh, is the difference. Um, you yeah, know, being a, a one year wonder or playing you know, a couple hundred games. So uh, they'll need to work through it, and I think they can this year.
0: For the Dragons, we've seen both Sloan and Ramsey play fullback at different stages. What do you think? Who starts at one? <laughs>
1: I've got no idea. No, I think that both of them, yeah, have pros and cons. Um, you've also got, you know, the the added uh, experience of Moses Zemba can play anywhere in your back line as well. Um, so I think that, you know, they're all learning and, and uh, competing against each other. Tyrell's such an ad-lib. Sort of off the cuff player, and, and that's great to have at certain stages, but it also uh, is heart and mouth stuff when you're trying to, to win a, a cycle in, in the NRL. And you know, Cody's 100 mile an hour, so but they've still got a couple of little mistakes they need to tidy up. So, um, I, I have no idea, um, genuinely have no idea who's in front at the moment.
0: Was there anyone else who really stood out to you in any of the preseason games we've had so far?
1: No, I just thought it was great, you know the a few people were sort of you know saying "Who's this and who's that?" Well, this is what we've never had the trials before, so on on t v all of them have been shown, and yeah. you know I think um if you have a look at I only probably watched the dragons one really really closely and was going off like that but uh, if you just have a look at some of the young talent coming through, I think it's you know I've been saying we need a national reserve grade competition so that we can see those guys every single week. Uh, up against the best, and then they're prepared for first grade. So I think that's probably the highlight for me, is seeing those guys uh, get an opportunity in, in first grade trials, and then hopefully you know, we we'll see them later in the year. Hey,
0: Jamie, I'd love to have a chat to you about a story going around at the moment in, in regards to player managers and deals. Jerome Hughes, his manager's been quite vocal and come out on the record saying that they want six years, five million, I think it is, from Melbourne, or else they're happy to go elsewhere. When you're when you're coming to the end of your contract, or there's a there's a year to be taken up on the deal that you'll decline, how stressful is that as a as a player's perspective?
1: Yeah, it, it is stressful. Um, you're ringing your manager, uh, your manager's ringing you every time you've got an offer, and you're trying to sort out your future. And you know, I, I was never in that calibre of money um, when I, when I was at the Dragons. You know, I was looking for a longer deal, and you know, sort of had an idea of what I wanted, uh, which was three or four years, and, and Penrith gave me four and dragged off dropped me one. So you want that security. But um, I think that, yeah, it's, it's a murky water at the moment. The the whole player-manager uh, going out and, and pretty much there's no limit on when they can talk about contracts. I and mean, drawing he has got two years left. Uh, he's got this year and next year. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm confused as to why the game hasn't come out and made it. a period, and let the managers go and talk. That's their job. But you shouldn't be able to to come out and manipulate and and release it through the media and create, because it creates pressure and it creates a distaste for that player. I mean, if Jerome Hughes is worth, I think he's worth that, six years, five million. But if one club's willing to pay him 1.1 and they're not in the top five or six teams, and then Melbourne fans get off him. He's still got two years to go, or, or a year to go. Like I just don't understand in, in how that makes the player better, or how it makes the the club uh, and their loyalty to fans and sell jerseys and all that. It's it's really confusing and murky situation if you're a player right now because you can sign so far out.
0: Is that a that's that's a good point that I think rugby league is if it's if it's not the only sport in the world, it's certainly on a short list where you sign over 12 months in advance, like, for example, players that are off contract for the following year can negotiate on November 1. Do you think it'll come a time where we go to more of a sort of an NBA, NFL-type thing, where you're off contract and then you get signed for the next year? Do you think that's inevitable?
1: Yeah. I I think longer-term deals are going away in the game. I think you you look at the situation, North Queensland right now with Jason Tamalolo you know, when he signed that contract, I dare say that we probably all thought that was that they got the you know best player in the world, best forward in the world, really cheaply. Um, then the game changed a little bit. Now it's like, oh well, is he worth that? Do you get the output and all that kind of stuff? So um, I'd like to get to a situation where you could just trade players yeah. and and do it like that. And I, I get that's a little bit risky, but uh, that way, you may be able to to have more salary cap. It might be say if it was twelve million, but the players knew that they were going to get that money, but they could be traded, um, you know, and have a period where you can trade up to the deadline. But the, we also want some consistency as well. There needs to be a period, uh, much like the rules. We don't want the rules changing every year. Uh, we also want the the consistency with when players can sign and when, because managers will always talk, but if you only had a period of of when they could talk. Uh, it would tighten everyone, keep everyone in line, but yeah, you know, releasing itself—it's—it's it's a big wheel that, like I said, sometimes gets a little murky.
0: If you were to bring in a trading window, it would inevitably t- be talked about that you're bringing a draft as well. Would you support a draft?
1: No, no, no. I don't think a draft um, would work, and the draft only works in certain situations in America because they actually have colleges and. Uh, universities that are, you know, making millions and millions of dollars. So um, they prep that athlete to get that exposure to get more money into their program, and then the NBA is a professional league or the NFL. So over here, we're starting to recruit kids at 15, 16, develop them, um, and then hopefully, you know, get them into first grade. Now, that if you're, you know, if you signed with the Dragons at 16 or 15. And we develop you into a first grader, why should we um, have to pay five hundred thousand because someone else wants to pay five hundred thousand to pay you? There needs to be more done for that and that would stop the draft because right now, um, there wouldn't be the talent for a draft, I don't feel. And, you know, even if you would draft, I don't know how many of those kids if you draft at sixteen or even get two rounds and you had 34 players next year with Redcliffe. i don't know if there'd be 34 players that go straight into a first grade team much like the nba where the top 10 probably are starting straight away and their franchise changes whereas we've got kids that um have really really uh, excelled in their juniors and, and been talented and won competitions and done all that stuff and they do an nrl preseason it's like you got to start back at, at one again you know there's they think they know everything, but you've got to start them back because you're playing against men and you're playing the toughest sport in the world where uh, you have to do both things, both sides of the ball. You don't have to throw the ball, and then when it's defence, you go off the field. You don't have to just shoot the ball and not defend. You've got to be able to do both. So, um, yeah, I, wouldn't, I don't think a draft would work.
0: That's a fair point. I'd like to ask you about Wayne Bennett. When you look back on your time with Wayne, how did he help you and your game personally?
1: Uh, I think Wayne just... Cared about me. He made my strength stronger, and, and said that we'd work on that. And uh, you know, if it was running the ball or uh, kicking, and you know, passing, he said just work on that and, and make that your your you know your craft and, and get better at it. And then defensively, just get your body in front. And you know, I'm going through the same thing right now. I've got two young halves in the NRLW team, and you know, I said the same thing to no, them. I'm not expecting them to make 50 tackles, but uh, I want them to be really good at at what they're in the team to do, which is the kicking, passing, running. So Wayne just made me feel really comfortable in my own skin and, um, you know, accepted me for me. I'm a bit of a weird cat. I tell I <laughs> things straight, but I also like things a certain way. And, um, you yeah, know, my wife often teases me about things, but um, he accepted me for me and, you know, didn't, didn't expect me to change just because um, I was in the team, you know, uh, Jonathan Thurston was taking the ball to the line. He knew that wasn't my strength, so he, didn't, he wasn't sending out messages going, mate, you got to take the ball to the line. you got to take the ball to the line. I played for coaches that. You know, have a run. Get in there and have a run. You're like, this is an under sixes, you know. I, I know what I'm doing, and, and I, I, sometimes I need encouragement like that, but other times I just need to be left to, to do my job. So uh, he made me feel really comfortable in my own skin.
0: He goes to the Dolphins for next year. What do you make of their recruits so far?
1: Uh, really experienced. I think that they'll almost, you know, if they can land a halfback, that's the, that's the key right now. There's there's some experience there in Nichols and Kafusi and uh, the Bromwich brothers and stuff like that. So they're going to be really steely, much like South were last year, I guess, in their pack. But you know, that big uh, chip to fall is going to be who the halfback is and who the nine is. Uh, if they can get that sorted. They almost come into contention to make the eight because you've got Wayne Bennett and we saw, you know, with the ragtag Queensland squad a couple of years ago, they they won uh, state of origin and it's probably the worst side ever. As some people thought I, I didn't, <laughs> I knew what Queensland would be like, but um, yeah, I think they've become really competitive, but there's still a couple of uh, chips to fall and some players that are going to be unhappy that they're going to be able to pick up, you know, probably really cheap and, under the guidance of Wayne Bennett, you know, uh, be successful.
0: For a new club to come in, I think it's important for them to be relevant straight away. You know, not necessarily premiership contenders, but at least relevant. How long do you think it is before we start discussing them in premiership contention?
1: Again, um, we're sort of only looking at the, you know, we've only got half or a quarter of the puzzle in place. So it's hard to put predictions on that. Um, I think that Wayne Bennett, in that three years, they'd be expecting, maybe not the first year, but the second and third year, they'd be expecting to go to week two of the finals, depending on their squad. Yeah. Um, but you've also got to remember that yeah, you know, they're trying to build a, a club for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You, know, you look at the Titans, when they came in, they made the finals the first year, a prelim final at Huntland in 2010, and then you know, it's been lean pickings afterwards, and, and they sort of had maybe a similar recipe where they signed a lot of older guys towards the back end of their career and and they probably just didn't get it right after those guys left. But, you know, one thing you know about Wayne Bennett is, you know, he's going to have a a competitive squad whoever he has and and the people that take over afterwards are going to have the job of making sure that they've got youngsters in place that can come through and be successful as well.
0: One thing you were known for, Jamie, was your kicking game. Uh, When it comes to a playmaker's kicking game, how much do you credit having success with pre-match preparation?
1: Uh, 99.9%. <laughs> it's, uh, I... Yeah, I, I I was telling my girls the other day just about what to expect, and some of them have never played in front of fans before, you know, um, or more than, you know, 10 or 20 at the local ground, but, you know, when I came out to warm-up, I was ready to go. I only warmed up because that's what everyone wanted to do, and <laughs> you had to show the fans that we're actually doing something to get ready. Like, I was... I was in a lather um, in horse racing terms. I'd, I'd had a bit of sweat over me, ready to go. Like, I just did it out there because probably to get a feel of the ground and stuff as well. But, um, yeah, I was my preparation was all, always ready to go. And um, I, like I said, I'm a I like things a certain way. So it's no different um, being a coach now or sort of doing this interview and, and half looking at some game tape. Um, being ready to go and being prepped for, for my first game as coach, but yeah, preparation, I think, um, it is for any young kid um, probably the biggest thing is not thinking that everyone prepares the same. You know, I remember sitting in dressing rooms and Wendell Saylor dancing and um, <laughs> carrying on, and it, you know, I hadn't started my prep yet, but I was actually just sitting down, having a bit of a yawn and. Bit of a that uh, yeah, Wayne showed it the next week. He's like you are still preparing your own way. You don't let anyone else jeopardise your preparation. So i just carry that on and pass that on to my girls.
0: Was there other players in the competition that you'd watch in particular that influenced the plans you'd make in regards to your kicking into in regards to your kicking game, sorry?
1: Uh well, Billy changed the game for everyone. Um, I remember the Titans kicking it in touch and and everyone tried to do that. And, you know, <clears throat> Garrett Hayne-Burness in 09. And um, the first game in 2010, we played him at Parramatta. I think I put it dead on the full. About, I think it was about 15 rows back. I didn't even try to pull it up. Um, so those those guys are always dangerous. Um, but I think the thing for me is you, you talk about preparation. But you, you've got to prepare your last play options as well. You know, where are you standing? How far back? Who's the marker? Um, who's on the ball at fullback, is the winger back, is he up, um, does he like the ball on the ground? And One probably um, yeah, thing that comes back to my mind is 2014, playing a, pre, a semi-final against the Roosters at the SFS and um, doing some video that week. And Gus sort of mentioned that you know, Anthony Minicello likes to run around to get the ball. And that means when he's at fullback, if the ball's around him, he doesn't like attacking it. Straight at him, he likes to run around and do like a little fish hook to go and get the ball. So um, if you go back and watch that game, um, towards the end of the game, we get him once where I sort of punch it low and he sort of half arcs around, catches it, nearly goes into touch. And then we go down there again and um, we ended up with the, with the sort of last play try. He was just waiting for the ball to go. So we'd, we'd done that and we end up scoring the try and then the next kick um, he and Tupu are sort of running around to get the ball again. So that's kind of picking up those little tips and, and listening to, and also working that for yourself, I think is always important. But yeah, those, those guys have played against some, some good full So I've always had to try and um, yeah, be prepared as best I can.
0: Matt Burton. Goes from the Panthers to the Bulldogs this year. I think he's a phenomenal young player, but I can see this being a tough season for him just based on the fact that at Penrith he was the fourth or fifth option. Now he goes to a team where he's expected to be the chief playmaker. Um, I see some people having the Dogs in the top eight. I don't really buy that at all. Can you talk to me about the challenge he's going to encounter this year?
1: Yeah, well, he hasn't played a lot of five eight the last three years. Um, that's the first thing for me um, on that left side for the. Panthers left centre you know it's, it's alright when Cleary's kicking kicking into field position and Lewi's running around and Dylan Edwards bringing the ball back um, and we saw probably in the first week of the trials the dogs still got some um, growing pains I know they didn't have their full team but um, the seven for them is a real problem yeah. And and if Matt Burton's waiting to get the ball or you know, they're not in position. They they haven't got a seven or nine that's just dominant enough where he can he's going to have to pretty much be the dad straight away at such a young age. So um, I'm sure he'll encounter some problems. I didn't have him in my eight um, this year. I think that there's still going to be some growing pains, but um, for him, if he can get the best out of that forward pack and they can get him in position and you can just get a steady seven that can kick you in and, and give you enough chances, then he may be able to um, yeah, cause cool, some upsets, but yeah, I think it's going to be a tough year as well.
0: Looks like it'll be between Kyle Flanagan and Jake Averillo for that half spot. Who who, who do you think will get the nod at least to start the season?
1: Yeah, I'm probably worst person to ask. I'm a little bit biased. I've had a lot to do with Kyle, and yep. yeah, I think he's um, an astute learner of the game. who's probably just been um, yeah pushed aside because he went into a back to back roosters title, didn't win the title. And then came to the Bulldogs and, and, you know, again, with a forward pack that didn't really put him in position, uh, had to come up with some big plays and, and a new attacking structure with no fullback, no number nine. That's sort of, you know, to win, you got to have one of your spine players has to be in the top five or six in the competition. And then that breeds confidence to everyone else. So uh, they didn't have any. I think they were down the bottom in terms of combinations and stuff like that. So... And um, Jacob seems like he'd be the perfect 14 to come off. I'd actually like to see him at hooker. I think he's tough enough. He can fast out a dummy half, and he's got a, a kicking game that could help give that extra uh, option there. But at seven, it just looks a little bit uh, manufactured rather than a little natural like with Kyle.
0: You've recently been named coach of the Dragons NRLW side. Can you tell me how that's going? <laughs>
1: Yeah, we we haven't won or lost yet, so I'm <laughs> great. Um, yeah, I, I I sort of said to my wife when I retired, you know, she said, do you want to get into coaching? And I, I'd love to, but I want to do it when I'm older and we've had kids and, and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, you know, four years later, I've had two girls and, you know, life's really good. And then all of a sudden you get a chance, your first major coaching job is, in the NRLW where there's only six coaches, yeah, um, you know, I've never been in charge of a team before. I've done assistant coaching, I've ran the water, I've you know, played um, a heap of footy obviously. I know everything about it, but um, there's still some, uh, I guess, challenges and hurdles for me that I've gone through this last um, six weeks and stuff that I've had to, to own because I'm direct and intense and emotional and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it's going great. I love it. I didn't think I'd be doing it this early, but uh, I'm glad I just jumped into it and, and you know, I'm getting some experience. And I had three months with the NRL team, which I'm still working with, but three months not having to worry about NRLW too much, where I can just learn and see what works and how players react and, and how they coach and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's going great. I don't know when this interview goes out, but yeah, it's Sunday, 12 o'clock. Twenty um, seventh of Feb, I'll be I'll be <laughs> I'll be pretty nervous, I'd say.
0: <laughs> well, it, it it goes out tomorrow, so being Saturday, so um, yep, make sure you tune in for that. Is, is coaching is coaching a path you always wanted to pursue? Like, you, did you know that um, as a player that you wanted to pursue, to pursue that?
1: Um, I've oh, I've worked hard to sort of climb the media ladder. And it's a long ladder, as you would appreciate.
0: Yes.
1: Um, so, yeah, you, you've got to hunt down your own opportunities. You've, you're never really safe in the media. Um, but the coaching was always, I, I love watching footy. Like, I love talking about footy. I love watching footy. And I think, um, yeah, once once I sort of started, like, I get really excited for the girls to come to training. And when we... You know, we talk about a play and we'll, we talk about doing something right and when we do it or when we learn together. So uh, I think it was probably always there. I just needed a little bit of push or an opportunity. Um, the times I've been involved in teams, I, I really love just talking footy, so it's, uh, I guess it was always there if that's the answer.
0: We've seen the women's game grow tremendously over the past few years. Obviously, COVID threw a spanner in that, not only for the NRLW, for, but for a lot of sports. Um, where, where do you see the women's game going over the next ten years?
1: Well, I think firstly, <clears throat> excuse me. Firstly, we've got to get um, more games, and then not necessarily more teams. So, yep. uh, the talent pool um, this year, I think you'll see, is, is it's growing. Whether it's um, all of the same standard is yet to be seen. And I hope that it is, but yeah, you know, we need to be playing each other at least twice, uh, and then grow it that way, um, rather than just trying to give everyone an NRLW license and then having, you know, the, the disparities that we see in both state league competitions, where you know p- for part time they're just not there, they're not there physically, they're not there mentally, and they're not there uh, financially. So, you, know, I'd love to see the game grow, you know, to three games for state of origin, you know Gillaroo's. Um, you know, playing three tests against New Zealand at the end of the year, and then have the NRLW play two rounds against each other, and, and the girls, you know, they'll handle it. Um, but we we need to do that first, and then we can talk about pay and all that kind of stuff. But you know, I'd like to think in the next ten years we get to a solid, uh, maybe ten team competition or eight team competition where we play each other twice or maybe three times, uh, in conjunction with the men's. Maybe start a little bit later and play. Um, because, yeah, it's not going anywhere, the women's game. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to think that we get to that at some stage.
0: Well, Jamie, that's all I've got for you. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. Like I said earlier, it's a bit, it's been a big thrill to have you on and um, hopefully not the last time. No
1: worries, mate. Appreciate it. And uh, good luck for the year. And, uh, go the Dragons
0: big thanks to Jamie for coming on the show today. You can catch him on his socials or even his own podcast, which you can find on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. By the way, if you want to get in contact with me, you can on Twitter at tcanfell, and don't forget to give the 60 Go Facebook page a like as well. My name is Tom Canfell. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. And until next time, this has been the 60 Go Podcast and that is full time.